ASEAN Conversations is brought to you by UOB. Thanks for joining us on Money FM 89.3. Well, ESG is a big buzzword for investors these days, especially with all the issues around corporate governance, the urgency for energy transition, and the push to be more sustainable. And what should we look out for? Joining us today is Adrian Au, Head of Business Enablers and ESG Solutions from UOB. Thanks for joining us, Adrian. How are you doing today? Hi, good morning. Thanks. I'm doing good. Let's start first with laying the context of where we are right now when it comes to ESG. We often hear the calls for more to be done for ESG. How much progress do you think we are seeing and how much progress do you think we've made, especially when it comes to Singapore? Yeah, I think maybe before I talk about Singapore first, perhaps let me set the context from a global perspective. So in N2022, about 140 countries and over 4,000 businesses have committed towards net zero or are in the process of doing so. And these countries and businesses are responsible for about 90% of global greenhouse gas emissions. Mm. So in short, sustainability has become mainstream. It's no longer a fad or a nice thing to do. It's really become a business imperative. So when we look at ASEAN first, ASEAN as a whole would probably suffer about 35% erosion of the GDP by 2050 if we do not take care of our current environment. Impacts to agriculture, fishing and tourism are likely to erode jobs and livelihoods. In Singapore, of course, we have the Singapore Green Plan 2030, which sets out the roadmap in terms of what we want to do in terms of our green spaces, greening our buildings, our offices, our factories, and also reducing the amount of waste to landfills, and of course, greening our transportation network. So all these are actually very good initiatives. And perhaps I think if we look across the region, this is really something that the government has done well in terms of laying out the national priorities in terms of the sectoral transformation in the sustainability space. Adrian, there are always other more pressing short-term challenges, especially in times of economic uncertainty. What's the risk of ESG taking a backseat to all of that, including you know, things like rising expenses, potential recession and layoffs in the tech sector? That's a very good question, Lynn. I think very often we get that kind of questions and, of course, feedback from our customers, especially people who are in the SME sectors because they were just recovered from the pandemic. They're concerned about cash flow, business survival, and yet green and sustainability has become a thing. Or from a compliance, a regulatory, or even a competitive edge perspective, they are required to step up you know, and adopt all these sustainability solutions. But perhaps maybe I'll try to answer that question from a two perspective. Number one, what kind of organization or company do you want to be? You want to be reactive or proactive? Mm. If it's reactive, then yes, then all these short-term concerns will become a priority. But we have seen many SMEs, some of them are UOB clients who take a much more forward-looking approach and they are visionary. They want to look at sustainability and use that as a definitive competitive advantage, differentiating themselves in the markets. And these are not big organisations. These are SMEs with limited resources, but they do their best by doing so. Secondly, I think the key thing is that sustainability, as I mentioned earlier, is not a fad. Mm. It is perhaps the most important economic transformation of our generation and perhaps the next. And in order to crack this, we as a community will need to move in unison to targeting specific areas of decarbonisation. Because a key area of a bank providing sustainability financing, what we have seen is that when the industry verticals between policymakers, businesses, 
technologies researchers and of course financial intermediaries like a bank are aligned towards a particular area of decarbonisation, that area of sustainability has really moved. Mm. Let me give you two examples. The first example is in the built environment sector. The Building and Construction Authority of Singapore lays out very clear guidelines, building codes and specifications for different types of green certified buildings under the BCA Green Mark classification status. So because of that, the requirements of what defines to be a certified green buildings are very clear. Developers, main contractors, subcontractors, building material suppliers are very clear of what needs to be built. Mm. Because of that, financial intermediaries like a bank have the confidence to lend to such players in the ecosystem providing them with green and sustainable financing to build all this green infrastructure for us. So that really helps in terms of moving the building and construction and even the retrofitting of existing buildings to green status. That's number one. Number two is really in the area of uh, smart city living. We all know that you know for smart city living, we need renewable energy, mm. we need green transportation, just so we talk about EVs and um, hybrid cars, right? So again, because the engineering codes and of course the technology has become very mature in renewables as well as EVs, again, and the government push for EVs and charging infrastructure is very clear. Again, the rest of the business ecosystems and the financier, as, as a bank, would move very clearly and coherently in that one single direction. Yeah, I like what you said about companies can either be proactive or reactive. And I think it's worth noting, a lot of people recognise that it's important to be more ESG forward in a sense. They recognise the importance of ESG. But there's often a gap between acknowledging it and executing it. So when it comes to actual adoption, how much of a gap is there between these two? That's a very good question. Maybe I'll try to answer it from an individual perspective because this was one of the feedback that we had from one of the panelists, Associate Professor Alberto Salvo mm. from NUS during the panel at the recent Wichoyao Business Forum. Mm. He mooted the idea of having an individual personal carbon scorecard. Mm. Oh, interesting. All, all of us have a, a credit score, right? With the uh, credit bureau, you go to a bank, you apply for a credit card, you apply for a home loan, mm. you will get a credit score. Mm -hmm. He was mooting the notion that each of us should have a personal carbon credit score as well. So that was very interesting, which means that it would probably allow us to make more informed decisions, trade-off between what we eat, what we consume, and how we live our lives. Because it's not going to change our behaviour overnight, but we start to make conscious decisions like, for example, do I eat beef, chicken, or salad today? Because mm. technically, beef actually produces eight times more greenhouse gas emissions mm. than chicken and vegetables. Mm. So again, do I need to eat beef every day? No, but perhaps... For special occasions, yes, or maybe once or twice a week. So that allows us to have more conscious decision-making. And hopefully with that informed data point, we will also be more inclined to increase our willingness to pay for green produce infrastructure because green is not cheap. It requires different way of building certain infrastructure. Mm -hmm. It requires investments in new technology that are truly sustainable. And yes, so green produce, organic, green offices, green textile that we wear, it's not cheap. And therefore, we will probably, with that information, be able to make a more informed decision about our lifestyle. All right. What are some of the sustainability financing frameworks and solutions that clients can expect these days? So I would say that across the industry, there are generally four types of green and sustainability financing. The first type is what we call green loans. Mm -hmm. Green loans are given to uh, projects which are clearly defined as green, aligned to the UN SDGs. That's the first mm -hmm. type. 
The second type would be what we call sustainability-linked loans. These are loans given to companies who perhaps may not be necessarily in the green sector like renewable energy, but who are in the process of improving their sustainability performance. So we as a bank would want to incentivize them to reduce their carbon emissions, reduce their water usage and improve their waste recycling. The third type is what we call sustainable trade finance. Singapore is a key commodity and transshipment hub. So there is facility which we give to actually green the supply chain to support the import and export of green and sustainable agri-commodities, textile, palm oil, things that we use and consume on a day-to-day basis. The last one is what we call transition finance. This is loans given to what we call the hard-to-abate or brown sectors in the oil and gas sectors to help them transition towards more sustainable alternatives like hydrogen, carbon capture, utilisation and storage as well as carbon capture and storage. All right, we're in conversation with Adrian Ao. He is the Head of Business Enablers and ESG Solutions at UOB. Now, Adrian, you were recently moderating a panel for Enhancing Sustainable ESG Practices and Implementation. And this was at the 2023 Rich Business Forum. You mentioned there was this personal scorecard concept that came out. I'm sure there were a lot more takeaways from that forum. Yes, indeed. We had a very distinguished panel of industry practitioners and academia with us on the panel that day who very generously shared their ESG practices, mm-hmm. what worked, what didn't, and most importantly, what could be done better. So I personally benefited a lot from mm. their generous sharing. For me, at least, there were four key takeaways. The first one was really about making sustainability a key competitive edge rather than a regulatory compliance issue. Mm. So many of the panellists that day, they were of the same thinking that sustainability is a key defining moment to differentiate the business and to make it a strategic imperative. And that's how they have actually differentiated their businesses over the last few years. That's number one. Number two, for a lot of the SMEs out there, uh, sustainability might be a kind of an alphabet soup, mm. right? But another sharing that one of the SME owner did was to share that, take baby steps. Look at how you could actually reduce your operational costs, reduce your energy consumption, and implement or install mm. more energy efficient equipment. Baby steps and baby goals. Yes, start small and see where it takes you from there. The third one was actually from one of our panellists who mentioned that sustainability is something other than taking it as a whole of nation approach at an organisational level, it's a whole of organisational mm-hmm. approach, mm-hmm. which means that it's not really about hiring two or four people, mm. setting up a corporate sustainability office and then mm. leave it with them. It really requires the entire organisation mm. end-to-end and changing the entire end-to-end process, business strategy, business approach that will really move the needle mm-hmm. on sustainability solutions adoption. And the last part, which I've just mentioned earlier, is really about the personal carbon scorecard. I think having that key data point will really help us consumers to make more informed decisions and perhaps increase our willingness to pay for green produce and green infrastructure. You mentioned the phrase move the needle earlier. Were there any policy recommendations that could possibly do that? Yeah, I think this was quite a sensitive topic, Mm. to be honest. And there were perhaps, I think, two broad 
key recommendations. First, I must say that as I go around the region and because uh, UOP has committed towards net zero in October 2022, so since then, we have been engaging like-minded organisations across ASEAN to work together to move the needle on sustainability solutions adoption. And as we do that, I must say that the Singapore government has been very clear in terms of our national priorities by publishing sectoral roadmaps towards sustainability for the hotels, tourism, energy transition and also the financial services sector. And these are very important because it aligns national priorities and the rest of the players in the ecosystems toward that one single direction. So this has been really, very, very helpful. Two policy calibrations, I would say. One of the feedback that we heard was that perhaps businesses should be reasonably compensated for R&D activities, especially for the SMEs, because they were invested time, resources, capex into researching new technologies, and they hope to be able to have at least a first mover advantage when they come up with such new technologies relating to sustainability. The second is really, and this is not from the bank, this is really from the companies in the real economy. In fact, one of them said, oh, why not provide financial intermediaries like banks mm-hmm. or insurance mm-hmm. companies to have access to low cost of funds, which can then be transferred as a lower pricing of loans to the real economy players, mm-hmm. because that will allow and speed up sustainability solutions adoption. Mm-hmm. Because we have to recognise that there are quite a few sustainability solutions that will require a longer payback period because the technology may not be mature and the capex investment involved will take a longer period to be make commercial sense for a company, especially the SME. So by having a lower cost of funding, it will help to lower the barrier of entry into adopting such sustainability solutions. All right, Adrian, we talked about what companies can do, what policies can do. So let's talk about what people can do. So to many other people out there, especially the younger ones who want to make a difference, what would you say to them? I would say get involved. Be the change you want to see. Don't be just a keyboard warrior typing (laughs) away. Be a technologist or researcher and advance climate adaptation and mitigation technology. Be an engineer that will help scale up the engineering solutions on a wide scale. Be an investor or work in a financial intermediary like a bank to help advance sustainability financing. Be a key policy maker uh, to design grants, schemes and incentives that would help the entire ecosystem at a national level to move towards a more sustainable environment. Thank you very much for your perspectives, Adrian. Adrian Au, Head of Business Enablers and ESG Solutions from UOB. ASEAN Conversations is brought to you by UOB. UOB, powering innovation for a sustainable ASEAN.